In one recent article from BBC, a writer named Brian Lufkin, he writes about how new studies show that workers around the world are putting in an average of 9.2 hours of unpaid overtime per week. You know, co-working spaces are filled with posters urging us to, to rise and grind or hustle harder. You know, billionaire tech entre- entrepreneurs advocate sacrificing sleep so that people can change the world. And since the pandemic hit, for some of us, our work weeks have gotten longer. You know, we send emails and Slack messages at midnight as, as boundaries between our personal and professional lives dissolve. You know, even when we're not at work, many of us may have our smartphones and we bring our work home with us, you know, answering emails or phone calls. And apart from trying to earn a paycheck or, or run a business, our weekly activities also involve caring for children. And all that's involved with that, from taking them to school to other extracurricular activities, from sports to ballet to, to numerous other, other things. You know, taking care of other family members, paying for bills, taking care of our homes. And we could list out probably so many other responsibilities and activities that fill our weeks. You know, we have no problem filling our schedules with things to do, right? That's not the difficulty. But finding time to intentionally rest is the struggle. And one of the solutions that the world usually offers us in different ways is that we need to physically rest, which will impact us emotionally, it will impact us mentally, and this will cause us to be more productive, you know, when we are working. And there's truth, certainly, there's wisdom in this, but if we only address the need for physical rest, which we need, then we'll fall short. But God speaks about rest in an even deeper way within the scriptures. He teaches us that we need to physically rest, but we also need spiritual rest in him. You know, there are two Hebrew words in the Old Testament where we get the word rest from. The first is Shabbat, which is where we get the English word Sabbath. This word simply means to cease or to stop completely from our work. The other main Hebrew word that is used for rest is nuach. This word means to settle in or take up residence in a stable or a safe place. It communicates this idea of being restfully present. And we can see how God establishes both types of rest in the first two chapters of the book of Genesis. And everything begins with chaos, darkness, disorder before God creates all things. But then God speaks and begins bringing about order through his creating work. In the beginning of Genesis, it gives account of how God created all things in six days. And after the account of what God created each of those six days, Genesis 2.1 tells us about how the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. You know, the word for rested here is that first word that I spoke of earlier, Shabbat. So after six days of working to bring about his creation, God ceased or he stopped completely from his work of creating. Not because he was tired and not because he was exhausted, but because his creation was complete. But what's neat is that a few verses later in verse 15, we see the second Hebrew word for rest used. You know, our English, maybe we all have, most of us probably have ESV translations in here. 
You'll not see it, but it reads, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. They translate it as God put him in the garden, referring to Adam. But the, second, the Hebrew word used here is actually that second word for rest. And a, and a way to translate this could be the Lord God took the man and rested him or settled him in the Garden of Eden to, to work it and to keep it. And so God settled man in the garden to be restfully present with him. And that is what existed before sin entered the world. You know, a complete, a full rest in God's perfect creation that was free from sin. A place where Adam and Eve could dwell with God and be restfully present with Him as they walked in the garden with Him. And it doesn't say that this perfect rest was absent of work because He settles them there in order to participate with Him. By, as Genesis 1.28 says, being fruitful, multiplying, filling the earth, subduing it, and having dominion over every, li- every living thing. And before the fall, this work, it wasn't tiresome. You know, it wasn't frustrating, it wasn't fruitless, but it was completely joyful, tireless, fruitful. You know, a perfect seventh-day rest that was never supposed to end. But we know what happens, right? God told them that they could enjoy everything that he provided through his perfect creation, but told them not to eat from that one tree, the knowledge of the good and evil. Satan convinces them to disobey God. They eat from the tree and sin entered the world. And when this happened, they, they forfeited that perfect rest. They were exiled out of the garden that God had, had settled, them, settled them in, had rested them in. And they're forced to work a land, in a land that's cursed. You know, part of the curse of the fall is that work would be tiresome. It would be hard. It would be difficult, not always fruitful. And so they forfeited a perfect rest to work tirelessly until they eventually would die and return back to the dust. And this is why our work can be difficult and tiresome. But the Bible shows us how God brought about his plan of redemption to save a people who have been exiled out of this perfect seventh day rest that once existed in the garden and how he will restore it fully and completely once again. And so my hope for us this afternoon is to trace one thread within this larger storyline of the theme of rest that we find in our Bibles by better understanding what the Bible teaches us about how the Sabbath day fits into that storyline. And my desire is that after we, we do this together, that we will walk away being encouraged. And this, this is just our main idea for today, is to, to live in light of the rest that we have in Christ. So live in light of the rest that we have in Christ. And we're going to, going to try to accomplish this by answering two different questions. You know, the first is, what was the purpose of the Sabbath for God's people under the Old Covenant? What was the purpose of the Sabbath for God's people under the Old Covenant? And the second is, how can we apply the principles of the Sabbath to our lives as the people of God under the New Covenant? How can we apply the principles of the Sabbath to our lives as the people under the New Covenant? Which will hopefully encourage us again to live in light of the rest that we have in Christ. And so let's attempt to answer that first question. You know, what was the purpose of the Sabbath for God's people under the Old Covenant? You know, the first purpose that it served was that it served as a day to provide physical rest for God's people. You know, a day to provide physical rest for God's people. You know, we, we really don't see the Sabbath day directly spoken of until the book of Exodus. In fact, Noah 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were not commanded to observe the Sabbath day. It's not until Moses comes onto the scene, and in, in, in specifically in Exodus 16, which is after God rescues his people from being enslaved to the Egyptians and, and before they receive the, the Ten Commandments. If, if you remember, as the people of God, they were wandering in the wilderness, they were constantly just grumbling and complaining to Moses and Aaron about how it would have been better to be back in Egypt, even if it meant being enslaved so that their bellies could be full of food. I mean, the wilderness, it, it wasn't an easy place to wander through. And there were a lot of Israelites that Moses led in through the wilderness wanderings. You know, some people estimate that there were 30,000 Israelites. Others estimate that there were up to 2 million. Either way, there were a lot of people who were being led through the wilderness, which was not a land that offered an adequate amount of food or water for these people. It was a difficult situation, but God... He hears their grumbling, and he gave the people instructions through Moses about how he would daily provide manna, which is this wafer-type food, by causing it to rain down from heaven in order to sustain them. Moses gave them the Lord's instructions starting in, in Exodus 16, 23 through 26. He said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh, which is a Sabbath, there will be none." And so the, for the first five days of the week, they were only to gather enough manna off of the ground for that day. If they gathered more than that, then it would spoil, it would just become stinky, filled with worms. And the sixth day was the only day that God commanded them to gather a double portion of manna. And God, by his power, would preserve the food by keeping it from becoming spoiled, worm-filled, stinky so that they could cease from their normal work week and physically rest on the seventh day from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday. And so God was beginning to set up this rhythmic pattern in the lives of his people so that they could have physical rest. You know, and we know this, there's only so much work that we can do in a week. There's a limitation because, like I said before, this was a consequence of being cast out of the perfect rest, the fall. Hard labor that makes us tired, it makes us weary. And so God graciously provides a day for them to rest physically. And so this is one, person, one purpose that I, I wanted to mention briefly. Because physical rest is probably what pops into our minds usually for most of us when we hear, the, the, uh, hear about the Sabbath day. But the observance of the Sabbath day was not just about physical rest. They stopped from their normal work to physically rest, but it also served, and this is our second purpose, as a day to be spiritually renewed through remembering important truths. You know, a day to be spiritually renewed through remembering important truths. And so this was a day that they would worship the Lord through remembering important truths about who God is and who they are as his people. And so what were some of these truths that God would use to renew his people with on the Sabbath day as they ceased from their work and were restfully present with him? 
Well, the first is God was reminding them that He is their sustainer and provider. He is their sustainer and provider. Let's go back to that story in Exodus 16 for a moment. So the Israelites had this rhythmic pattern every week for the, the rest of the 40 years that they were wandering in the wilderness where they would gather a double portion of manna and God would prevent it from spoiling by His power to provide for and sustain His people on the Sabbath day. And so every week they would be reminded on this day that He is their sustainer and provider. That their survival and their daily provision, it was not ultimately dependent upon them, but on God. It actually says in verse 31 of this chapter, this is what the, it says, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer, which is just a, a measurement of manna, be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so the Sabbath would serve as a reminder that he is their sustainer and provider. But secondly, God used the Sabbath to remind them that the perfect rest was forfeited. The perfect rest was forfeited. In Exodus 20, God gives the the Ten Commandments to his people through Moses. And the fourth commandment that he gives in verses 8 through 11 is, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so God highlights this, how this rhythmic pattern, weekly pattern of working six days and resting on the seventh day is patterned after his own example of working to create all things in six days and then resting on the seventh. It would remind them that he is creator, but it also would give them a small taste of this rest that was forfeited. This full, complete, and perfect rest. In a way, the Sabbath day is served as as a memorial to God's creating work and his perfect seventh day rest. And so it was a reminder that their perfect rest was forfeited. Thirdly, God commanded his people to observe the Sabbath day because it served as a reminder of their salvation. A reminder of their salvation. Later on in Deuteronomy 5.15, Moses wrote, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And so the Israelites, observed the Sabbath, as they observed the Sabbath day, they were to also remember that God had, had liberated them from enslavement to the Egyptians. You know, at that point in their history, he'd already brought them out of the exile of being enslaved to the Egyptians and was in the process of, of bringing them into the promised land where they could experience some rest. And the Sabbath day served again as this memorial of how God had saved them by His power. And so the Sabbath day would serve as a reminder of their salvation. But lastly, the Sabbath day served as a reminder that they were God's covenant people. A reminder that they were God's covenant people. You know, in Exodus 31, 13-14, God commanded Moses to speak to the people of Israel and say, 
Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. And so the Sabbath day was strictly to be observed by all the generations who followed under the old Mosaic covenant, which is the covenant that God made uh, between him and the Israelites on Mount Sinai when he gives the commandments to the people through Moses. And this is where God promises that they would continue to be his special possession. He would help them overcome all of their enemies, that he would make them into a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, whom he will continue to show grace and mercy to. But this was conditional. It was dependent upon his people listening to his voice and obeying his commandments. And every week when they observed the Sabbath day, this served as a sign, a reminder, or a memorial to these truths throughout all the generations who followed them. And so they would cease from all their work to physically rest And as they were restfully present together before the Lord in worship, God used this day for the purpose of spiritually renewing his people as they remembered these important truths. But its third purpose is that it served as a shadow of what was to come. You know, a shadow of what was to come. You know, the the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 2, 16 through 17, he says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You know, the Sabbath, in other words, was given by God under the old covenant to point forward to Christ, who would be the fulfillment of the Sabbath. You know, I like what Tom Schreiner writes about this. He writes, The word for shadow that Paul uses to describe the Sabbath is the same term the author of Hebrews uses to describe the Old Testament sacrifices. The law is only a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. Both contrast elements of the law as a shadow with the substance or the form being found in Christ. And so many of the practices that God commanded His people to keep under the Old Covenant, you know, the sacrificial system, the observance of certain festivals, the keeping of the Sabbath day, and many others were meant to build anticipation for the coming of the Messiah who, who would be the fulfillment of what these pointed forward to. And this weekly rhythm of observing the Sabbath day under the Old Covenant, it should have built anticipation. It gave them a small taste of what once was and that even though that perfect rest had been forfeited, that one day God would fully restore the rest that was lost. And so it should have caused them to look forward with hope and anticipation that it would be restored. Which is what the rest of the Old Testament is building up to until we reach the New Testament. And what's interesting is that towards the end of Deuteronomy, before Moses dies and Joshua leads the people into the Promised Land, God tells Moses about what the Israelites are going to do after they enter the Promised Land. It's almost like a spoiler alert. Like, hey hey Moses, this this is what's going to happen. God tells Moses in Deuteronomy 31, 16 through 17, you're going to rest with your ancestors, so he's going to die. And these people, whom he's been leading through the wilderness, will soon prostitute themselves to foreign gods of the land that they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. And in that day I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them, and they will be destroyed. 
many disasters and calamities will come on them. And in that day they will ask, Have not these disasters come on us because our God is not with us? And I will certainly hide my face in that day because of all their wickedness and turning to other gods. And so, and sure enough, after the Israelites entered the promised land, they eventually forget their God. You remember the promise of the Mosaic Covenant that they would continue to be his people, that he would overcome their enemies, that he would be their precious, that they would be their precious, that they, they would be his precious possession. And this was dependent upon them listening to his voice and obeying his commands. Well, they eventually no longer listened to God's voice. They set aside this fourth command to, to observe the Sabbath day, which reminded them of these important truths, and they turn away from him. They worship false gods and eventually forfeit any rest that they could have experienced there within that land that he had given them. And God exiles them from the promised land and they are enslaved by another nation. And later on, the prophets tell of a time of, of when their exile would end and their ultimate time of rest would begin. You know, and generations go by as they are left waiting. And by the time the New Testament arrives and Jesus appears on the scene, the religious leaders who were tasked with leading the people in worship of God, had turned the Sabbath day into something that God had not intended for it to be. In an attempt to, to be more thorough in defining what it means to not work on the Sabbath day, they had taken the liberty to add to God's command about what it meant to cease from work. The religious leaders spent endless hours arguing about things about like whether or not they could pick up a lamp on the Sabbath day and carry it to the other end of the, the room or whether or not they could pick up a child on the Sabbath day. There were endless rules and regulations that they had come up with and imposed on the people, causing the Sabbath day to be more of a burden on the people rather than a delight. And so we can understand why Jesus was so intentional in his ministry about performing miracles on the Sabbath day. And why the religious leaders became so angry with Jesus and his disciples as he did this. I mean, yes, he's, he's obviously claiming to be God, but he's also revealing that they are missing the whole purpose for why God commanded his people to observe the Sabbath day in the first place. They, and they were blind to the fact that the one who originally commanded his people to observe that day and the one who could fulfill what the Sabbath day was pointing for to is the one that they're trying to kill. This is why Jesus teaches his disciples in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know, Jesus came to offer the opposite of what the religious leaders were imposing on the people. He came to offer an invitation to find ultimate spiritual rest for their souls in Him. And so I want to be very clear before I answer the second question about how can we apply the principles of the Sabbath to our lives as the people of God under the New Covenant. You know, which is really our application. I believe that the scriptures teach us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath day and that we're no longer required to observe it under the new covenant. And that we are not in sin if we do not observe the Sabbath day like it was observed under the old covenant. That for we who have believed in Christ for salvation, as the author of Hebrews writes, we have entered into our final rest in Him. But as the author of Hebrews states a few verses later, we're also striving to enter into that rest, right? And so if you've trusted in Christ for salvation, if you've believed the gospel, then the reality is, is that you've entered into that final rest. 
that the Sabbath day pointed forward to in Christ. But we will not experience the fullness and the completeness of that rest until we are present with him. But how do we live in light of this reality? And this is where I believe that there are important principles that we can take from how the Sabbath day was observed by the people of God under the old covenant and put them into practice, which will help us live in light of this reality. So what can we learn from the observance of the Sabbath that can help us practically and intentionally rest in Christ? Well, I just have four points of application for us. The first being, schedule time to cease from the busyness. Schedule time to cease from the busyness. Now, how can we intentionally create rhythms in which we cease from the normal work within our busy weekly schedule so that we can rest? You know, life can be so overwhelmingly busy, like I mentioned before, that most of us don't have a problem at finding things to fill our weekly schedules. But the problem is carving out time to stop and be intentional about resting in Christ. You know, the one thing that impacts all other things within our weekly schedules. And for some of us, that may be setting aside a full day. Now, this might sound contradictory from what I just said earlier, but I believe that one practical way for us to rest in Christ is to set aside a whole day to do this if we can. Again, this is not required. You're not in sin if you do not practice this. But there's wisdom in taking a full day to stop and physically rest from your normal work week, not to fill up that day with other busy work, but to make time to be restfully present with Christ. And so I would encourage you to set aside a full day if you can. But also, create rhythms of ceasing from your busyness throughout your week. And understand, I say this because as, pe- as the people of God under the new covenant, I struggle with saying that we should only set aside one day to cease and to be intentional about resting in Christ. Because again, the reality is, is that we have entered into that rest. And we are called to always be living in light of that truth, right? And so when I say create rhythms of ceasing throughout your work week, then I say this because this is something that we should be intentionally doing throughout the week. And I believe that for many of us, we've already created rhythms of ceasing throughout our week, from waking up in the morning and doing personal devotions, from practicing family worship at night, meeting with small groups, or or meeting over a cup of coffee, or meeting on Sundays to worship with other believers. So I'm not necessarily encouraging a lot of us with this point to do something that we're not already doing, unless you're not doing it. But I say this more so as a reminder to keep doing them, keep practicing these things, because these are some of the means that God uses to interrupt our busy weeks, so that we can be reminded that we are not autonomous. You know, we're, we do not govern our own lives. And when we take time to intentionally stop, we're recognizing that we have limits and God is in control. Matt Capps writes, Physical rest requires us to relinquish control. God handles the world quite well on His own. And so we are creating opportunities as we physically rest to remind ourselves of this. And so it begins with us practically scheduling time to cease from the busyness of our weeks. But what does it look like in those moments to rest in Christ? You know, I feel like that's a phrase that's thrown around a lot, right? Uh, Whether we're on the receiving end or we're we're, we're telling that to someone else, which is a good thing to say, but what does that mean? Well, at least one way, or what that looks like, it looks like being intentional about, and this is our second point of application, 
Remembering the promises that we have in Christ. Remembering the promises that we have in Christ. You know, similar to the way that the Sabbath day served as a day to be spiritually renewed by remembering important truths about how God is their sustainer and their provider, their salvation, that, and that they, are, they were a covenant people of God. One practical way that we rest in Christ as the people of God under the new covenant is during that day that we set aside or those pockets of moments throughout our week, it involves us taking the time to stop what we are doing and to remind ourselves and each other about the promises that we have in Christ. And this involves using God's Word. It involves the work of the Spirit who resides within His people. And just as the Sabbath day served as a day to help remind God's people under the Old Covenant about how He had liberated them from slavery to the Egyptians, we're reminded that He has liberated us from slavery to sin. It was similar to how they remembered how God sanctified or set apart the Israelite people under the Old Covenant to be His people. We remember, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that in Christ we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His wonderful light. That we have a promise as the people of God under the new covenant that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so resting in Christ, it looks like using the Word of God and daily allowing the Spirit of God to renew our minds with these truths to help us remember the promises that we have in Christ. But thirdly, resting in Christ takes place personally and in the context of community. So resting in Christ takes place personally and in the context of community. It takes place personally, as, we, as I mentioned before, as we cease daily to, to be restfully present as we read the Bible and pray, sing and worship during our personal devotional time. Or if you set aside a full day of rest, maybe you enjoy going for a bike ride or taking a walk outside where you can meditate on these truths and intentionally spend time in worship with the Lord. Or maybe it looks like you're having a rough day at work. And during your 30-minute break, you go outside and you sit in your car, you physically stop, and you proclaim these truths to yourself. So it takes place personally, but we also rest in Christ in the context of community. You know, we need each other, whether it be through having family worship in our home, with our spouses and our kids and other family members, you know, meeting in small groups or over a cup of coffee, and especially as we meet and worship on the Lord's Day on Sundays. It's similar to the way that the people of God under the Old Covenant were corporately remembering those truths on the Sabbath day. We're also helping each other remember the promises that we have in Christ. You know, think about how easy it is to lose perspective as we get caught up in the busyness of life. If we've not scheduled time to stop and to remember these truths. You remember the Israelites, they failed to listen to the voice of God, right? They forgot to observe the Sabbath and to remember those truths. And they were led away by false gods. The way we fight unbelief is by remembering these truths, and we do this in context of community. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone to a small group or gotten a cup of coffee with someone, sometimes not even wanting to do it. You know, just thinking it's an inconvenience, and my day was already going so bad, why do I want to do this? And the Lord used that time and the truth that was spoken during that time to renew my mind and to help me to remember the promises that I have in Christ. To help me to, to rest in Him. 
If I had not scheduled time to cease from what I was doing in the busyness of the week, even though at times it feels like an inconvenience, and to meet with other believers, then I would not have been refreshed by the promises that we have in Christ. You know, we're doing this right now as we, as we read Scripture together, as we pray, as we sing the truth together, as we hear the Word preached. We're going to do it here in a little bit as we take the Lord's Supper and we proclaim the Gospel to one another and remember those truths. And so resting in Christ, it takes place personally and in the context of community. But lastly, as we live in light of the rest that we have in Christ, it should cause us to look forward with anticipation. You know, under the Old Covenant, Observing the Sabbath day should have built this anticipation for the one who would come, who would be the fulfillment of the Sabbath. If you've trusted in Christ, then I want to encourage and remind us again that if we've believed, then we've entered the rest. But we are also striving to one day fully enter that rest. We've gotten an even greater taste of what is to come. A day when the perfect rest that once existed in the garden will be fully restored where work will not be tiresome and sometimes fruitless, but it will be joyful and completely fruitful. And we will be restfully present with the Lord as we walk with Him in His presence. And I pray that as we look forward with anticipation that our hopes will be strengthened, right? And that we can know with a certainty that this will come about because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross through His death and His resurrection. And if you're here today or you're listening online, and you have not initially believed the gospel and entered into that rest, then I pray that you would talk to one of the elders, talk to me, talk to someone you know, uh, who, who you know that, that knows Christ. We would love to speak to you more about the gospel and what it means to trust in Christ for salvation. You know, you can search for, for fullness and completeness and rest in so many different things. But true rest can only be found in Christ alone. And it begins by initially entering that rest. Again, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. It is only in him that we can find rest for our souls. And so as we close, brothers and sisters, let us live in light of the reality that we have entered into rest through belief in Christ. And let us look forward with hope that we will one day enter into the fullness of that rest. Let's pray. Uh, God, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And God, we're, we're so thankful for your word. And we're thankful um, that we can find true rest in you, Christ. God, I pray that uh, you would help us to be intentional about stopping and, and remembering the important promises that we have in you, Christ. That in you we find our rest. Lord, help us to be intentional in community. To, to speak that truth to one another, to stop in our schedules as we meet with one another, to, to, to speak these truths to each other, to remind each other, to encourage each other, to continue to remember that we've entered into our rest, but also to encourage one another to continue striving, persevering forward until we've one day fully uh, experienced the fullness and completeness of that rest in you, Christ. Oh, Lord, we, we pray right now as, as Andy comes up to Lead us through the Lord's Supper, the Lord, that you would uh, help us to, to remember those truths even now as we take the Lord's Supper together in the context of community. God, help, help us to, to think on these truths, to remember the gospel and what you accomplished through your death and your resurrection.
We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.